This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a bi-weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode eight, and we're recording on Monday, November 30th. I'm Amanda Nelson, your host and managing editor of Book Riot, and I am here with our returning guest, Jen Northington, our events director. She's also the co-host of the Book Rages podcast, a part-time bookseller at Word, and the member of five book groups. Thanks for coming back on my show. Yay! I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. This so, is my favorite. Yay! <laughs> so this is a special episode. This is our holiday recommendation episode. So all of the questions that we got uh, this week are related in some way to winter reading, holiday gift giving, um, presents, that kind of thing. Um, But we got more questions than we could really fit into the hour that we have for the show. So you do have another chance. Next, uh, our next episode will be in the middle of December. And so we can, we'll do another holiday rec show then as well. So if you have uh, gift giving questions about who, you know, books that you want to give to people in your life, then just send them to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can go to um, bookriot.com slash getbooked and uh, go into the latest episode and the, there will be a form at the bottom of the post where you can just drop in your question and we will answer them, ne- not next week because this is a bi-weekly show, but the <laughs> week after. Uh, so yeah. And so that's how this podcast works. If you've never listened to us before, we're a write in recommendation show. You can ask us questions about books, um, that you want to read personally. If you are looking for like a read alike of something, you loved Harry Potter, you want to know what to read next or something like that. Something for your book club, uh, books to give or recommend to other people, whatever, anything and everything. We are here to help. Uh, all right. <laughs> so let's, let's just jump right in. Yeah. We'll yeah. read the first question and then I'll do the first sponsor and then we can answer it. Um, why don't you read the first question? Okay. All right. Our very first question is for recommendations for a great gift book for someone who's a heavy breather for classics. P.S. That is like the greatest <laughs> description. I want that on a t-shirt. I heavy know. breather for classics. <laughs> Um, okay. Heavy breather for classics. That isn't folio society. Something great quality at an affordable price. Thanks from Sarah. All right. So before we get into the answers for that, uh, for, uh, heavy breather for classics. Um, I'm going to do our first sponsor, which is Penguin Random House Audio. Uh, Audiobooks are so baller. You're an audiobook person, yes. I feel like I asked you this last time you were on the show. You know, I have been, this is like 2016 is the year I tried to become an audiobooks person. I have not had great success um, just because I don't know why. I don't have a commute like that in a car. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But I, like people are obsessed. They are. And I feel like the audiobooks have had a big resurgence Mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. Oh, for, yeah. I mean, and it's got to just be because of the digital stuff. But anyway, I wasn't an audiobook person until maybe about two years ago. And then I realized that I can't listen to fiction on audio. I have to listen to it. has to be nonfiction. And oh. I don't understand the reasoning behind that. It makes no logical sense. Because nonfiction is like, if you zone out, no matter what you're listening to, you're still going to miss something. But <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It's what works for me. So anyway, <laughs> Random House uh, audio is actually really great for book clubs and my book club, you're in five book clubs. I'm only in the one, but I have found that if you have members of your book club who are like going through a busy season or are just too busy in their lives to read the books, if you recommend that they listen to it on audio, they'll, they'll 
be able to participate more because it's so much easier to listen to an audiobook when you're doing something else than it is to like carve out the time to sit down and actually flip through pages. And of course, if you listen to your book club on audio as opposed to reading it, you've had a whole different experience than somebody who read it. You've got opinions about the narrator, about the pacing. Um, if you do zone out at a particular point in an audiobook, that says something about how interesting or not interesting that section of the book is. And that experience is maybe one that people who are reading it didn't duplicate. So it, it gives you a lot of conversation points for your book club and allows people who uh, couldn't participate to participate, which is great. So if you want to start listening to audiobooks for your book club uh, or maybe recommending really great audiobooks for your book club, you can go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club. They've got title suggestions, including Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which I listened to and loved. It's kind of a little out there. I mean, like her thoughts on creativity include some supernatural stuff that I don't necessarily get behind, but the practical advice that she has is awesome. And there's lots to talk about with that book. If your book club tends towards uh, thinking about like creativity or art or any, anything like that. They also have the girl in the spider's web, which is the new, oh. yeah, not Steve Larson. Right. The other guy. The other guy. David, David, David something. Yes. Lagerkrantz. Yes. I'm always afraid I'm going to say it wrong. Um, yeah who picked up the Stieg Larsson mantle and wrote another book in the Elizabeth Salander series. And there's so much to talk about there. In How, fact, one yeah. of the attendees who regularly comes to the New York Read Harder book group, where, by the way, every meeting we end up talking about audiobooks without fail, every awesome. single meeting, um, because it's in any book book club and a bunch of the people read on audio, I guess. Is that a phrase? Read on audio? Whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the, pers- the first person to read that book in our book club read it on audio. Wow. Yeah. Did so. they like it? She did. She liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. She had some interesting thoughts on comparing it to stylistically yeah. to the originals. But anyway. Yeah, that's, that's what I want to know is like, how does it, how does it like measure up to, to Steve Larson's writing style? And of course, there's so much stuff about feminism and violence against women in that series that you could parse. And uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Salander is such a great character. Anyway, I love her with many loves. <laughs> so go to penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club for title suggestions, advice on themes for your book club and how to get going um, with audiobooks in your book club. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Why don't you do the first rec for this? Heavy breather for classics. Gift okay. So my first recommendation for this is, well, so I, I, I will say I apologize to Sarah in advance because she didn't specify what she meant by affordable and everybody's rubric is different. Like, does that mean $20? Does that mean under 50? Um, I don't know. So, uh, the first pick I have for you is Peter Cease's illustration of the conference of the birds, which is a penguin press edition and is just drop dead gorgeous. Like I'm a sucker for conference of the birds anyway, because it's a really interesting sort of, myth or is it folklore I can never remember the correct word for this but it's an ancient story um and it's a bit with the whole story is one big metaphor about government and people and identity and um Peter Cease is a like renowned illustrator and he has done the most beautiful edition of this that I think I will ever hope to see in my entire life like it is just drop dead gorgeous um it's available in paperback and hardcover. So the pricing is variable, um, but it's totally worth it. You just want to pet it. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Mine are all Penguin as well. Penguin, Penguin does classics better than anybody. Like the, the, they're always coming out with new, fancy, cute, collectible stuff because they know that's how they get you. Right. So my first pick for this is the Penguin Drop Caps, uh, which is a collection of 26, obviously, uh, 26 volumes, uh, each letter represented uh, by a different author. So A, the first book is, uh, in, this, in the drop cap 
series is uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, Jane Austen, and then B, I think, is Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte, and on and on and on. And they're all, they're not all classics. Like, when I think classics, I think, like, pre-1940. Some of them are a little bit more modern than that, but most of them are, you know, like, Proust, Dickens, old, um, kind of Moby Dick, I think, is one. I really like that they included newer ones. So, like, one of yeah. Chang Ray Lee's books is one of the yes. taps, which is so cool because um, he's an amazing writer. Like, I like that they've got modern classics in there, too. Yeah, modern classics. That's a good – yeah, exactly. Um, and they're all in these um, really saturated jewel tones, the covers mm-hmm. are, and have these really scripty letters. And they're just beautiful. And I – found myself collecting them because I bought um, Madame Bovary, uh, the Flaubert <laughs> version, and I, then I have just have F, like, on my shelf, and it looks so alone. And so I had to, like, now I find myself picking them up whenever I find them. Uh, and they're, like, 20, 20 to $25 a piece, like a regular hardcover. So they're they're affordable. Um, and now I have, like, A through G, and it just makes me, I just have the sense of satisfaction. So if you've got somebody that you want to give a gift to, um, maybe just give them A and B, or two other letters whatever or you their think initials they would like. maybe oh that's that was cool. a great idea right you're so smart okay so that's my first pick <laughs> okay my next pick is in the 40 to 50 dollar range um so it's just on the edge of what i think of as being like affordable for a gift but it's the graphic canon series edited by russ kick and this is so cool on two levels one it is classics reinterpreted by illustrators and graphic artists. So it's like people who do graphic novels for a living taking classic stories and it's everything from like Bible stories and Gilgamesh to like Dickens to Infinite Jest. It scan it's like it 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 goes across it spans spans is a word not scans. Mm-hmm. It spans a huge range of literature and a huge range of artwork and there's several volumes in this series. So like the first one is like the Bible and Gilgamesh etc cetera, etc cetera, like the ancient stuff and then it gets more modern as it goes along and there's like even a kids version um, and it's just so incredible. Like the artwork is gorgeous. It's a really cool way to reintroduce yourself to the classics or to get a new take on them. I just think they're amazing okay so my second uh pick for this is uh also from penguin of course and it's the Clothbound collection designed by Coralie bickford smith and I, I know you've seen these around they're like everywhere now especially if you're on like tumblr or instagram because they're very photographable um but she designs these books she picks out one like visual thematic element and then puts it in a repeating pattern on the cover so oh i know which ones these are yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So like hard Mm -hmm. hard times, Dickens's hard times is like a a rocking horse. And I think Pride and Prejudice is a peacock feather uh, repeated. And they're just so nice. They look very classic, like something you would find on a a wealthy baron's shelf (laughs) or something like that. But they're, you know, very affordable. Um, They're not all priced the same. The the smaller the volume, the less it'll cost. So like hard times, which is like 250 pages was I think 20. And then my copy of Anna Karenina, which is huge, was like 30. So it depends. You can pick out whichever ones you want um, that are affordable. But I mean, Barnes & Noble carries them. They're everywhere. And they're so pretty and nice looking. They just look really nice, like Mm -hmm. classy. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's that. Question two. My turn. Yes, I will read question two. Okay. 
Hello, Amanda. I really enjoy listening to the podcast and enjoyed the live episode you did with Sarah McLean. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. I'd like to ask you for a book recommendation for my husband who is not a reader. I truly love my husband as he is, but if I could change anything (laughs) about him, it would be to turn him into a book lover. Okay. He's mentioned several times that when he sees me enjoying reading so much, sometimes it makes him want to read too. I'm determined to find the perfect book for him this Christmas that will make him realize what he's missing out on. I think he might like something nonfiction that reads like fiction, maybe about true crime. Nonfiction's not my thing, so I don't know where to begin. He enjoys TV shows like Locked Up and Snapped and is interested in stories about the mob. I appreciate it if you could point me in the right direction. And that is from Victoria. Okay, so my first pick for this is Stiff uh, by Mary Roach, which I recommend constantly all the time, every time I talk with my mouth sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a nonfiction, narrative nonfiction about what happens to your body after you donate it to science uh, when you're dead, obviously. And Mary Roach is the best narrative nonfiction writer in life. She's hilarious. She does really deep dives. Her voice is really uh, funny and dry. Her footnotes are to die for. Hilarious footnotes, which I love so much. Um, And it's fascinating topic. Like what happens? So if you donate your body to science and you end up as a crash test dummy, or if you donate your body to science and you end up on the body farm, which is where forensic scientists study decomposition and stuff like that. It's gross and weird <laughs> and cool. And if your husband likes true crime, um, I think this is tangentially related enough that it'll hold his interest. And she's funny, so it's not dry, it's not boring, it's weird and neat, and I like her a lot. Yes, A plus <laughs> for Mary Roach, always. Um, my first one for this was Cablos Top by Peter Carlson, which is the really engagingly told real story of Nikita Khrushchev's road trip vacation around America, <laughs> which is not a thing that most people know about. So it's not exactly like true crimey, but it's a true story that's super weird and funny. Um, and uh, yeah, so he went on this road trip around America in 1959 and Carlson sort of follows his progress and like tells these anecdotes from his visits to like Yellowstone or whatever the <laughs> hell he was doing. Um, and it was uh, one of our go two holiday recommendations at Word um, pretty much every year people are like I don't know maybe something nonfiction. and I'm always like here take this one mm. so okay so my second one is The Skeleton Crew by Deborah Halber um, this is so weird the, su- the subtitle is How Amateur Sleuths Are Solving America's Coldest Cases so this is about how there are about 40,000 people unsolved murders in America in any given day, 40,000. And since the advent of the internet, amateur sleuths have been using um, like dark corners of the internet and message boards and facial reconstruction stuff that they've designed on Facebook for themselves to solve these cold cases. And it's like, they're just hobbyists. They're just amateur Sherlock Holmes um, who make it their goal to beat law enforcement and each other. So it's like a competition amongst these, this group of like amateur sleuths to match missing persons, uh, missing person cases with unidentified bodies that are out there that they can find information for. So it's a look at these people and how they do it, how they use the internet and each other's connections and stuff like that to solve all of these cold cases, like cold, like decades, cold, cold cases, um, 
that the cops and law enforcement have just given up on. So I think this will really appeal to somebody who's into true crime because it's like actual true, like amateurs solving true crimes, which is so weird and not a thing you usually hear about outside of fiction with like Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that. And these aren't like private detectives. They're just normal people who, you know, are accountants and customer service reps or whatever. Then they go home and solve murders because fun, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Like Um, you do. Like you do. Yeah. But if you like puzzles. I guess this is a thing you could do. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my second pick. Nice. Uh, my second pick is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, which is a classic of modern history. Um, it's the story of the 1893 World's Fair and a serial killer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's your true crime and there's your history angle. Um, Larson is a really good writer. And he's not exactly funny, but he's very engaging and he makes it read very uh, easily. Like his books are page turnery, even though they're not, you know, I, what I would consider light, I guess. Um, and so if your husband likes it, there's a lot more. He's written a ton of books. Um, all of them are really interesting and about very sort of odd things. Um, and so uh, I think that he is a safe bet to get him started. So if he likes one, there's more where that came from. And I think all of these would be great on audio. You know, if if, oh, yeah. if he's not a reader, he he might be more receptive to listening to an audiobook. Um, and they're all nonfiction. So as yeah. I have stated for reasons that make no <laughs> sense, nonfiction is better than fiction on audio. Who have you listened to any Mary Roach books on audio? Who narrates them? Oh no, I haven't. Under. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Not side. her. I imagine not her. It's not No, probably not. There. Probably not. But I wish she did. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. So You're should up. I get the next question? Yes, Here we go. Our third question. Hello. I was wondering if you could send me some recommendations for my husband, Brandon. It's husband show. It is husband show. <laughs> show. He has a love for books and reading, but can be a little hard to shop for sometimes. He loves the classics, anything by Remarque and books that he can learn things from. He's incredibly creative. He's a blacksmith, works with leather, and loves teaching himself new things. I'd love to surprise him with a new book that would become a new favorite to him. Thank you for your time from Eliza. Um, I kind of almost want to let you go first, Amanda, because I agree with your pick. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So my first pick for this was Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin. This is a new wish. I think it came out last year or this year. Uh, It's not in paperback yet. So no. So in the past year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a memoir of a woman who worked, worked as a, a journalist for a newspaper and was unsatisfied with that job. So she left and became a apprentice carpenter, despite not knowing anything about how to use the most simple basic tools of carpentry and having never built anything in her life. Um, But she found a Craigslist ad for a carpenter who was looking for an apprentice. Uh, And this was in the middle of the recession. So she had a lot of competition. But for reasons that you find out when you read the book, uh, the carpenter picked her to be her apprentice. And it was a woman. The carpenter was the professional carpenter looking for an apprentice. It was a woman and wanted to apprentice another woman. So she picked Nina and she left her, you know, prestigious journalism job to go work a tile saw. And it's really fascinating. And she, the thing that I think will appeal um, to your husband is both, you know, if he's a blacksmith and works with tools and stuff, he'll get, he'll like that. But Nina is really, really well read, like so well read and is constantly referencing the classics in the memoir, she talks about the Odyssey a lot and all of that. So if he likes the classics, which you say that he does, he'll he'll connect to it on several levels. And it's so fascinating. Her writing is excellent. It's funny. Something for everyone. I love it. 
Yeah, that's a really, really, really good book. Mm-hmm. Really, you should get it for everyone you know. Um, <laughs> but if for some reason you're not going to get that book, <laughs> I have another option for you. Um, Louise Erdrich's Books and Islands in Ojibwe Count- Country, excuse me, um, is amazing and came out this past year. It's an older book, um, but it was reissued by Harper Perennial, I want to say, um, in a really beautiful, it's a slim paperback, but it's a really beautiful one. And what it is, is it's part travelogue. Um, she's traveling traveling around Ojibwe country, um, these islands, you know, in the Great Lakes and visiting all these different locations that have historical significance for her because this is part of her heritage. Um, But as she's doing that, because she's a writer, she's also reminiscing about classics she's read in the past, classics she's rereading now. Um, And it's a really interesting balance, kind of like Hammerhead, actually, of the value of being out and doing physical things in the world, as well as having an internal life. Um, and she's just an amazing writer. So it's really lovely and thought provoking and, and, you know, not sentimental, but really warm. Um, I love that book a whole lot. And it like grew my reading list like a billion times. (laughs) There's so many books she talks about just like, Oh, I must read that now. Louise Erdrich says I need to read this book. She's so amazing. I love her so much. I saw her at the um, National Book Festival this year in like September. And she has like the most dry, deadpan sense of humor. And now I love her and want to be her friend. Uh, Her books are so good. Yes, they are. Okay, so my second pick for this was A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Do you are you a Bryson person, Jen? I don't know if I, I know confess this about you. I am not. But oh, I but I, okay. I have sold so many of his books. He's so everybody he's so appealing. Yeah, he's like your cranky your favorite cranky great uncle mm-hmm. who is great like once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the holidays. Yeah, I love like- Bill Bryson. Okay, so A Walk in the Woods uh, is about his trek on the Appalachian Trail. I think he starts in Georgia and, you know, the trail runs from all up the East Coast from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And he is not a hiker, has no experience really with long hikes, doesn't have any idea what he's doing. He's middle-aged, out of shape, uh, all this kind of thing. And he, for reasons, decides to walk thousands of miles with his friend from high school who he has not seen in like two decades, who is also out of shape and kind of an alcoholic and is mildly annoying. And so they set off on this trek. And it's hilarious and you if you're you say that he likes that your husband likes learning new things this the book is half um travelogue like uh mistakes that they've made encounters with bears that one time they fall into a stream this kind of stuff and then it's half um history of the Appalachian Trail and uh like parks public parks in general so it's got a lot of really interesting trivia for for somebody who is into the outdoors or is into being kind of physical um and also you get to laugh at Bill Bryson. Which is great. Which is so, so great because he makes so many mistakes. And this is an <laughs> – I actually listened to that on audio and he reads it. And he has got such a dry, like, self-deprecating. He knows he's full of it. He knows that he's, like, pretentious and mildly irritating. Um, and it comes across in his voice. And so uh, it's, it, it's, I guess, warmer than you would expect from, from Bill Bryson, who can be a bit of a know-it-all. But in, like, I'm saying these things, like, he's self-deprecating, he's a know-it-all, as if they're negative. But I really love them. Um, and he's really well-read and smart. And it's just a fascinating book. Um, and I think somebody who's into, like, doing stuff with their hands will appreciate it. All right. Is my turn? It's my turn. It's your turn. All right. Question four. <clears throat> this is from Chassie. I've decided this is the Christmas of book giving for my family and friends. I've got uh, pretty much everyone except mom taken care of, bread and wine for my friend who feeds me all the time, uh, let's see, what men we reaped for my activist teacher friend, checklist manifesto for my life hack buddy, 
etc, etc. I'm drawing a blank for my mom. We have shared a Kindle account for years and I always have to pre-screen books for her. The joke in the family is that she doesn't allow herself to watch PG-13 movies or read books with similar content. She's a huge fan of Maeve Binchy, Rosamund Pilcher, uh, Eugenia Price. However, she's read all of them at this point. She's also pretty well read in what would be considered classics. Um, she does read some nonfiction, but it's mostly PG-rated memoir, and she really prefers fiction anyway. So why don't you go first? Yeah. yeah. I love moms. Um, <laughs> moms so, and husbands. I know. My first question is, uh, has she read Georgina? Excuse me. Has she read Georgette Heyer? She probably has, but just in case. Um she writes what we call, quote unquote, gentle romance, in which like very heated glances and yearning looks are exchanged. And there's lots of farces and mix ups and nobility, but there's no actual touching like nobody or maybe there's like a light touch of the hands. Mm. But that's about it. Um, and they are all set in sort of the Napoleonic slash British history. To- I'm so bad at historical. Regency? I apologize. They're not regencies. Okay. They're like pre-regency. Oh. Um, yeah. So they're, but they're, they are very similar to regency romances, but they're more like Austin-y than, than Sarah McLean, for example. Mm. Um, but yeah, so she probably has, but if she hasn't, um, that's definitely a good one. Okay. So my first pick for this is A Good American by Alex George, which when I was a bookseller was the book that I sold to moms and book clubs. And, yes. uh, Uh, Well, pretty much everyone. It was actually the book that I hand-sold more than any other at all, like in my entire history of doing that. So I love this book. Special place in my heart. Um, It's, let's see, it starts in 1904, and it's following this couple that has to flee um, their homeland because they want to be together, but the mother doesn't approve. So they go to America. They get on a boat, and they're trying to get to New York, but at the last minute, they take a boat that goes to New Orleans instead because they both have new in the name, so what does it matter, I guess? Um, And then they end up in Missouri, by chance, by these, like, series of uh, circumstances. They don't speak English, uh, and they start a business, and they just start their life. They move to a town called Beatrice. There's a bunch of really unforgettable, hilarious secondary characters. Um, A dwarf who rides a bicycle and is kind of scary. Uh, There's, like, a school teacher, a really pretty teacher who has inappropriate relationships with her male students, uh, like, teaches them things, quote-unquote. Oh, Um, boy. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a jazz trumpeteer, just all of these really cool characters. And then it's multi-generational. So you follow Frederick and Jette, or Jet, I don't know how to say it, um, are the two main characters. They have children, and their children have children. And you follow every generation as they make their way in America. So you start off pre-World War One, and you end up beyond, like, the Kennedy assassination. And then beyond that, they, there's, they touch on prohibition and all this stuff. And each new generation has to kind of suss out what it means to be an American. And the thing that I like about this book is that Alex George isn't from America. He's, he's from the UK. He's an American citizen now um, and lives in the Midwest. And so it's not obviously about his experience coming here, becoming an American, learning what it is to be a good American, uh, and than living here, but it obviously is about that. Like, it both is and is not completely autobiographical. Um, (laughs) And Alex George is a really uh, lovely person, and I really love this book. I keep saying that, but it's so true. And I don't normally uh, lean towards, like, heartwarming kind of books, uh, but this one is is heartwarming, and I loved it. It's very earnest and thoughtful. Um, And I think that it's PG-13. I mean, there, there's war, but it's not um, not anything that your mom can't handle. So, yeah, that's nice. it. Nice. <laughs> 
Um, my next pick, I had I had three, uh, is the Beekeeper's Apprentice series by Laurie R. King, which takes place in the early 1900s. And um, they follow a retired Sherlock Holmes and his young apprentice. Uh, she's 15 years old in the first book, um, which is called The Beekeeper's Apprentice. <laughs> the series might have another name, but anyway, uh, that's the first book in the series. Um, she's 15. Her name is Mary Russell. And they solve crimes together. Um, it's a go-to, I think, for folks who like historical mysteries. Um, you're not looking for like anything super gory or super sexualized or violent, um, like so many of the modern mysteries are, but you've run out of, you know, your your go-to uh, authors like Rosamund Pilcher and Maeve Benchy. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely recommend. In fact, we, the, my, I, one of my, my mystery book group um, got mad at me for picking too many depressing books. <laughs> I was like, they're mysteries. What do you want from me? Someone but has so, to die, guys. I know, guys, <laughs> exactly. But so Be- Beekeeper's Apprentice is the first book of my like attempt to win them back um, <laughs> because it's not depressing. It's a really sweet story, but it's also good you know it's got action because it's a mystery um somebody gets shot but it's not like you know it's she's gonna be just fine with the rating okay so my second pick for this is everything i never told you by celesting which was my favorite book of last year and it takes place in the 70s the book opens with a girl named lydia who's 16 uh dying like you this is not a spoiler you learned this in the first paragraph um so she's dead her family doesn't know and then you follow this family as they find out that the daughter is missing um and then how they deal with that and it's a mixed race family the father is chinese and the mother is white and they live in the 70s in ohio so there's a little bit of race stuff um that they're dealing with along with this big tragedy and so there's this book is so intersectional like there's so much that's going on you're you're talking about racial issues you're talking about the mother who um was born in the 50s no before that was raised during like the 50s 60s and gives up her dream of becoming a doctor in order to be a wife and a mother. And so she's uh, really pushing Lydia to be successful as a professional person. And they expect a lot from her and there's a lot of pressure there. Um, So that relationship is weird. The relationship uh, with the brother and the father is weird. Like there's just a lot going on. It's a really fascinating look at one family in the seventies. And despite the fact that there's a, um, that you know that there's a death at the very beginning, there's, it's not violent. It's not gory. It's, it's none of that. Um, and yeah, so in the same way that the the authors that you name are like really looking at kind of gentle family life, this is also that, but there's a lot of pain involved here and a lot of angst and um, conflict. Not that there's not pain and angst and conflict in those authors' works, but this is like really in your face. Um, but it's still PG-13, so I don't think it's too much for her, but there is a mystery. So it's a page turner, and I don't know, I just really liked it. And I think that everyone should read it, not just moms. I am a yes. mom. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Like moms are great. Also, yeah. everybody else should read. Yes. Indeed. Agreed. Um, okay. So my last pick might be a little too far afield, but I thought I would throw it in anyway. I don't know if she's ever read fantasy um, or if she's open to it, but Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho came out this past year and it was really, really, really good. Um, and I think that she might enjoy it. It's it's a very proper um, because it takes place in sort of an indeterminately non-technological Britain where magic is a reality, but women are not allowed to practice it. Um, and so henceforth, inve- adventures ensue. Um, it follows a young man who has sort of become 
one of the foremost magicians in the country because of the death of his mentor who rescued him from slavery when he was a young boy. So there is some sort of, of that kind of like the history of, you know, uh, being like the slavery trade and then um, being brought up as a young black man in by a respected white, you know, peer of the realm and having to take a place in society that doesn't necessarily accept you. And then, you know, this question of whether or not women should be allowed to practice magic and all of the ways that that kind of unravels as the course of the book goes along. Um, it's really well written. It's really sweet. It's the start of a series. Um, it's, I think it definitely qualifies as PG 13. Um, there's, I don't even think there's actually, I mean, there's a kind of a love story in it, but it's a very gentle love story. Um, but the, it's so smart and so engaging. And I just, I think, I think everybody should also read this. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should read it. Husbands, moms, like it. and everyone. And everyone. Yes. Show title. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's do our second sponsor before we move on to our next question. So our second sponsor is the DK Holiday Gift Generator. So if you are at a loss for what to give somebody uh, book-wise this holiday season, which I assume you are since you're listening to this particular episode, (laughs) then you can find a pick for everyone on your list using the DK Holiday Gift Generator. DK is a publisher. Um, So you just answer a few simple questions uh, on the link that will be in the show notes, and the Holiday Gift Generator will suggest a book to fit your family member or friend or whoever's interests. And these are all gift books. They're all these big, beautiful, like ornate coffee table books that look really great sitting on a table and also look really great wrapped under a tree. Um, I have actually, they sent me all of them and I have a big stack right by, right by me right now. And I'm looking through them and they're just so fancy. So there, for example, there's a, if the person that you're, that you're trying to give a gift to is into Star Wars and Lego, they have the Lego Star Wars book, Small Scenes from a Big Galaxy, which is just like many Lego figures reimagined in in Star Wars. Um, If the person that you're gifting for really enjoys wildlife or animals, Wildlife of the World is one of the picks, um, which is like over 400 huge, full-color, full-bleed, amazing, beautiful photos of wildlife. Um, There's the Marvel's Avengers Encyclopedia, which I actually am going to give to someone, but like, oh man, I can't say who because yeah. they listen to this podcast. Um, but I'm giving somebody the Marvel's Avengers Encyclopedia, which is a, the most comprehensive book about the Avengers that's on the market. It's got character profiles, um, storylines about all of the Avengers, their friends, their foes. Actually, this is a really great thing for somebody who is um, maybe new to comics or has seen the Avengers movies and wants to know where to get started with the comics. Cause all of that can be very confusing. Um, but if they have the encyclopedia, it will guide them to the right, uh, spots or to start. Yeah, also- that's- oh, go go ahead. Ahead. Well, I was just going to say, that's the thing I love so much about DK books is that they have really great nerdy stuff, but they also have really good general interest things. Yeah. Um, and they're also accessible and pretty. Yeah. And there's one that I, this one that I'm going to give my kids who are four, so they can't, they're not going to listen to this, so they don't care. Um, there's one called <laughs> How Machines Work, Zoo Break, and it's like got gears and stuff. Yes. It's so cool. And it's, um, what do you call it? Pop-up. Like it's a mm-hmm. pop-up book with all of these interactive sections about uh, like how levers work and how pulleys work and all of that. But in the place, like it's set in a zoo and it's about a sloth making a zoo break and how can you not love that? Um, so yeah, go to the DK holiday gift generator. The link will be in the show notes and check that out. And you can find a gift for pretty much anyone, no matter what they're into pop culture, uh, Disney wildlife, whatever. And thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Next question. Is it my turn? Is it your turn? I think it might be my turn. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Hello, Get Booked. I'm looking for book recommendations from a mother. Yay, moms! Mm-hmm. 95% of what she reads is historical romance involving some sort of nobility as the main character, not Harlequin, if that makes a difference. The In-Death series by J.D. Robb is her favorite non-romance series. Her TV habits include female lead crime shows, most comedies, and anything that could be called, quote-unquote, heartwarming. Can you help me get my mom out of her comfort zone? Thanks. Um, first off, I feel your mom's obsession mm-hmm. with nobility and romance. I totally understand it. Um, and she sounds nice but yeah we could probably do you want to go first Amanda sure um I feel this this question made me feel some kind of way because I feel like (laughs) if your mom is into historical romance just let her read historical romance whatever it's fine I get it I get it um I mean I could give you more recommendations for historical romance to give her but that's not what you're asking so that's fine I'll move on okay so my first pick for this is The Night Circus uh, by Erin Morgenstern which is heartwarming uh, is it heartwarming? Yeah, I thought it's it was It's very sweet. Yeah, it is I like, sweet. It's yeah. a sweet. Uh-huh, I so, liked it. And there is a primary romance in the yes. book. So this is about a circus, the night circus, obviously, that arrives um, without warning. It's magical. Everything is black and white and red. And, like, the visuals in this book are just so mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and it is run by illusionists and magicians or whatever. And it houses these two illusionists, Celia and Marco, who have been trained since childhood by their adopted parents um, to compete in this, like, magical game. They're, like, pawns competing in this magical game where they have to, they have to one-up each other. At every, every time the circus stops, they have to build a new thing, like a new um, display or a new exhibit or a new whatever um, with their magical skills, their illusionist skills that is better than the one that the person they're competing against built last time. However... They don't know that they're competing against each other at first, and they fall in love. So, Like you do. Yeah, as one does uh, when you can do magic and live in a night circus. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so once they figure this out, they have to uh, come up with a way to make the game not dangerous. Like, they don't want to hurt each other, obviously, in any way, both emotionally or physically, and this is a dangerous thing that they're doing. Um, They don't understand how the game has to end, which does involve danger, and so, you know, shenanigans and stuff ensues. Um, But if she likes historical romances, I think it's set in Victoriana. Oh, am I remembering that right? I'm I'm remembering, like, the costumes in my mind. Yeah. Like, she wore those big corseted dresses. I feel like the time setting is a little indeterminate, but it's definitely, like, pre-technology. Not pre-technology, but, like, pre-like digital technology, I guess. Right. That's what I want to say. So it has that kind of historical flavor, um, and it's got... A female lead. I mean, it's not a crime, but it's got a female lead, and it warmed my heart. It's quite sweet. There you go. So there we go. (laughs) All right. Uh, my first pick is To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis, which is an incredibly charming time travel mystery um, that includes 1940s England as well as like a present day Oxford University where there is a time travel lab, sort of. Um, and the main characters work for the lab. And in this, you know, setting uh time travel is like part of research and like historians go back and visit the times that they're researching and learn more things but then also obviously there's the potential to change history which they're working very hard to not do um because they're historians and they're trying to study it but not change it so obviously hijinks always ensue but this one is so funny because it's sort of an homage to um three men in a boat which is a (laughs) yeah which is a humor classic um is it gk chesterton who wrote that book um anyway it's very very funny um and so this book is hilarious it's it's got a lot of classical references without feeling 
capital S serious. Like it's a very, if you don't get all of the jokes, it's not a big deal. Like I had never read three men in a boat when I first read this book and I still thought it was very funny. Um, and there is a love story. Um, there's so many hijinks and shenanigans and like misunderstandings based on like these people are time traveling and they don't always know things. So for example, the main, uh, male lead keeps getting points of etiquette wrong. And every time it happens, he's like, Oh, well I've been in America. And the family <laughs> that he's like sort of gate crashed is like, like, oh, of course, he's been in America. It's so great. Um, hey, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's... No, it's true. Know, yep, nope. It's true, mm-hmm. right? These are, are uncivilized, wild, you know, Americans. <laughs> so, and it's and it has um, a bunch of stuff about uh, World War II in it as well. Like, it's a very interesting... I, I really loved it. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, yes. All right. So, my second pick for this, you need to be roll comfortable with your mother to give this one. And so I'm just assuming that you are. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's called Wallbanger by Alice Clayton. And this will be outside of your mother's comfort zone, but maybe not in the way that you mean. It's still a romance, but it's not a historical romance. It's a contemporary. So it's not what she's quite used to reading most of the time. Um, <clears throat> but you say that she likes comedies and this book is hilarious. So it's called Wallbanger and that's it's about exactly what it sounds like. It's about a, a woman who gets a new uh, apartment in San Francisco when she starts a new job. Her room, not roommate, neighbor, her neighbor is gone for the first little while after she moves in. And then when he shows up, I guess he, like he was out of town, he comes home and the next three nights he sleeps with three different women and bangs up against her wall constantly because they share like their bedroom share a wall and so he keeps her awake at night and she starts to really kind of hate him and resent it she goes to his house um you know one door down to confront him and there's conflict and they don't like each other at first but they run in the same social circles and so eventually they start to fall for each other and it's actually a very um despite the fact that it's got an in-your-face name and the cover is very in-your-face they don't actually sleep together for a like most of the book and the most of the book is just tension and banter like witty jokes and stuff like that so she if she's into comedies i think she would really like it and it does have that kind of um historical feel where like the 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 heroine um she's not i don't want to call her proper because she's she's not necessarily proper but um she she knows her own mind and that's the thing that i really like about a lot of historical romances, especially ones written in like, like nowadays is that the heroines know what they want and aren't afraid to say it. Uh, despite the fact that they have all these societal expectations placed upon them because of the time period. Uh, Carolyn is a lot like that. Carolyn is the name of the main character in this book. So I really loved it. And I talked about it on the romance recommendation episode with Sarah McLean and she loves it as well. But you know, I don't know, maybe give your mom like I was going to say give it to her digitally if you're not comfortable with the cover, but she's still going to see the cover. But it's so <laughs> funny, and I really think she would like it. Like, it's so funny. Um, but I understand if you would be uncomfortable giving your parents something called Wallbanger. But if you're cool with it, it's great. Wrap it up nice and then, like, make her wait until you're not there to open it. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> um... Okay, I have like three more. I had a really excited about this question. Just go. Um, I'm just going to go. So The Story Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabrielle Zevin um, is definitely what I would call heartwarming. It's a really well-written story, um, very charming, but also kind of very short, um, about a curmudgeonly bookstore owner who finds a baby on his front step. Um, So he owns this bookstore out on this island um, in the San, I think it's the San Juan Islands, like off the coast of the state of Washington. And um, it's remote and he likes it that way and he doesn't interact with that many people. He's still grieving um, for the death of his wife. He's a widower. 
And he just kind of hates everyone, even though he's like a little too young for this. Like you'd expect him to be like in his 60s, but he's actually like what, late 30s, early 40s. Um, And he just is the grumpiest. And Mm -hmm. then he finds a baby. And like, what do you do with a baby when you are a grumpy, widowed bachelor who hates everyone? (laughs) Um, And there is a love story in it, but also it's a lot about grief and like coming to terms with living after someone you love is gone from your life. Um, And it's about like how you find a family um, that's maybe not the family you expected to find. It's a really lovely story. I liked it a whole lot. I was really surprised by how much I liked it, honestly, because the first reviews were all like, so charming, so sweet. And I was like, oh. But I like her books a lot. I had read Gabrielle's Evan before. And so I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And then I was like, oh, this is great. It is so charming. And it is so sweet. I agree. So. I, I read it. I went into it expecting to hate it because I, mm-hmm. I you know, like my cold, dead heart, whatever. Right, right. Um, but no, it's it's really it's really nice, and he is such as it's like a a snobby grump that yes. no matter where you fall on the cold dead heart spectrum, you're gonna like him. Yep. So yep, yep. yep. And you want him um, to be happy and whatever. Who doesn't love yeah. a baby, right? Who doesn't love a baby? <laughs> um. So that and then also, um, Longborn by Joe Baker, which is a rewrite of Pride and Prejudice from the Help's point of view. I don't usually go for rewrites of classics, honestly. But this one was so smart and interesting um, because it really delved into the sort of context of Pride and Prejudice, which we don't ever think about, right? Like Mm. there are soldiers in the book, but we don't ever think about the war that they're fighting or not fighting. Um, And, you know, like who has to clean Elizabeth's like super muddy skirt, like after she Mm -hmm. moves all the way to whatever the name of the estate is. Um, Netherfield. yeah, there you go. Another field. Like, it's just crazy. So it, it was very interesting. And it's not at all preachy or didactic. It's just very well drawn um, to look behind the scenes and to, like, see how, you know, Mr. Bennett treats the help. And, like, how does, like, the head maid deal with Mrs. Bennett's, you know, vapors? And, <laughs> um, and also there's real depth in it, too. Like, that one of the help is a returned soldier. Um, and he's got sort of a dark past story. And so we get a little bit of that. Um, and it's just really lovely. And there is a love story in it. I only picked books that had love stories in them for this question. Um, and it's a really sweet one. And I just think it was a, it'd be a really interesting sort of sidelong view to what she's using to reading because, you know, you always see the nobility side of things. You don't often see the help side of things. And just like one more, I'll, I mentioned Sorcerer to the Crown earlier. I think your mom would also really like it. Um, so I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> okay, I'll stop now. All right. All right. My okay. turn. Is it my turn? That is my no. turn. No, it is your turn. Yeah, it's Sorry. Right. Sorry. All right. This is from Jules. I have two requests for Christmas gifts I'm hoping to locate this year. The first is for my husband, who is not a reader. Uh, well, always, again, with the husband. Yeah, so many husbands. So many husbands. I know, I know. Okay, I've seen your t-shirt about going home with a person with no books. Oh, haha, <laughs> yeah. I have a t-shirt with a John Waters quote on it about if you go home with someone and they don't have books, you should not engage in acts with that person. Um, anyway, my only recourse aside from divorce is to find a book to make him a reader. The only book he's read and somewhat enjoyed since college was Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. He likes sarcastic and black humor and would need something that's a quick and easy read. You could be saving my marriage with this request. <laughs> All right. The second is for my dad, an avid reader of World War One and Two history, although he's more interested in the first World War. He has read so much that I'm thinking maybe something brand new or something from a small publisher that he may not have seen. Nonfiction is not my wheelhouse and not and definitely not this subject, so any help would be appreciated. Okay. Uh, you wanna go first? 
Uh, well, let's do the husband first, yeah? And then we can yeah, yeah, the Yeah, let's okay. do the husband. Um, right. So <laughs> my first pick for the husband is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, which is one of the most hilarious apocalypse stories ever written. Um, it follows two angels from opposing sides of the conflict who are supposed to be uh, working on their side to, you know, either prevent or make happen the apocalypse and as, uh, as, as is connected to the body of the antichrist who is a young boy. So, um, it's really funny. It's, I've like, I've bungled explaining it, but anyway, the two angels end up working together because neither one of them particularly wants to win. Like the angel on the good side thinks that life is more interesting with a little darkness in it. And the angel on the bad side, um, is like, no, I don't want the world to be over. Like who wants that? Then you can't like go out for drinks and like have, you know, poker games or whatever. Like they're very invested in the world continuing. Um, and it is so funny. Um, if you've never read Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman, both of them are really capable of doing that super dark but super entertaining humor. Um, and uh, the teamwork that they exhibit in this book is, like, excellent. Um, so it's a really enjoyable story. It's not very long. It comes in a mass market, um, which is, you know, one of those smaller pocket-sized books. It's five ninety nine. It's really, really entertaining. And if he likes it, both of them are good options for future reading. All right. So for the, your husband, my first pick is The Martian by Andy Weir, which is a Swiss Army pick for me at this point. Um, <laughs> anyone who does not like to read will like The Martian. And, the you know, it's everywhere right now with the movie that just came out, the Matt Damon movie. And I think that's actually a, a point for it because people who aren't really readers, I've, I've come to find that if they... Um, they trust a book more if it's already been made into a movie because mm -hmm. it, it's got that like seal of someone's approval. Like somebody thought this story was worthwhile enough to turn into a film. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm more ready to engage with it. And it's it's short. It's quick. So funny. Your husband likes sarcasm and black humor. And that is 99% of this book and the other 1% is science jokes. Um, so it's <laughs> about an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars after an accident that sends the rest of his crew back to Earth. So they leave him for dead. He's not dead. He has to survive in this habitat um, that was designed to house, I think, like five people for 30 days or so. But he has to live there until they come back and get him, which could take up to two years because obviously the round trip from here to Mars is not short. Um, and so he's got to figure out how to alert NASA to the fact that he's still alive, how to grow food, um, what to do about oxygen, all like how to survive the weather, all this stuff he has to figure out. And so the thing that the way that I pitch this book is like, if your favorite part of Apollo 13 is that two minutes when the guys at NASA have to figure out how to fit a square filter into a round hole, that is this book with a lot of F-bombs for like 300 pages and it just, it goes so quickly. And I loved that part of Apollo 13. That is my favorite part, like the weird problem solving. Um, so like that and poop jokes is what you're going to get with the Martian. <laughs> uh, and my other pick for your husband is also a Swiss army rec book. Well, that I, um, usually give to people who are between like 25 or who are like 25 and older. And it's ready player one by Ernest Klein. This is an eighties pop culture extravaganza. Uh, it's about a, a boy who spends all of his time in this virtual reality game. And the, the person who designed the virtual reality game left a bunch of Easter eggs in the game that if, if someone solves it, they get to inherit this billionaire's uh, fortune. And it's been several years since the, since the game has been out and no one has been able to solve the Easter egg. And then this kid 
figures out the first, like, unlocks the first clue. And then that, of course, brings all these fortune hunters down, and, like, the race begins to solve this series of riddles and win the fortune. And each Easter egg is a weird 80s reference, like an 80s movie, 80s music, video games, whatever. Um, Moves really fast, super quick read, and, again, lots of funny... It's very funny, and there's a great uh, cast of funny secondary characters. So that is it. So let's do Dad now. Okay. Go, Dad. Go, 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 Dad. Dads who read history, I feel you on this one. It's really hard because I this was like a forever question when I at the bookstore in the holidays season. Like everybody's got a dad who has read everything there is to have read about World War II. Like that is the <laughs> thing. Um, so I went a little broad, and I hope that these will be ones he hasn't read yet. My first one is a more unbending battle: the Harlem Hellfighters' struggle for freedom in World War One and equality at home by Peter Nelson. If you're not familiar, the Harlem Hellfighters were a black regiment um, uh, that fought in World War I with the French army because the U.S. Army wouldn't have them. Um, I guess blacks were not allowed to serve in the front lines. Um, And so uh, while they were definitely part of the war effort uh, otherwise. But so um, this is a regiment that actually saw a battle right on the front lines, were in the trenches, um, and there has not been a lot of recognition or research about them. Um, so this book came out a few years ago, so it's not super new. He might have read it, but maybe not. Um, but I think it's a really interesting look both at what it was like for them to be in uh, in World War One itself, but also what it was like for them to then come home and, you know, the circumstances that led to them enlisting and then what it was like to return as a veteran when your own army wouldn't accept you. Um, so it's a really interesting look at a period of at a part of World War One that I don't think gets a lot of attention. Okay, so my first pick for Dad is a new Churchill bio that just came out in October from Scribner. It's called Never Surrender. It's by John Kelly. This uh, subtitle is Winston Churchill and Britain's Decision to Fight Nazi Germany in the Fateful Summer of 1940. So it's very specific, and it covers the six-month period in 1940 when Churchill debated with uh, his cabinet about whether or not the British were going to fight Hitler. So in 1940, Germany had already taken over uh, Poland. They were in France, Holland, Belgium, the Czechoslovakia, all of that, and they were coming for the British, and Britain was trying to determine as a government whether or not they wanted to stand and fight or figure out some prudent way to survive. And of course, this is coming off the context of World War One, which was traumatizing for every country uh, in Europe that participated, which was pretty much all of them almost. Um, so the, this new book is just a look at that six month period of the war cabinet fighting with each other to figure out what they were going to do and the decisions that they made that led them ultimately to declare war and stand up to the Nazis. Um, so that's new. And it and it's an interesting angle. Like, you know, there there's any there are innumerable Winston Churchill biographies, especially about Winston Churchill during the war uh, out there. But this this is such a specific look at, at like one decision that he made in this one time period um, that, yeah, it's like a new, interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm, All right. Mm-hmm. You have more uh, for them. Yeah, I do. My next one is The Great Migration by Isabel Wilkerson, which he might have already read. It was very well regarded. It won several prizes. It came out in the last three years. Um, Wait, that's not what it's called. It's The Warmth of Other Suns. Oh, The Warmth of Other Suns. Oh, my God, you're right. Thank you. (laughs) Which is about the Great Migration. (laughs) Ah, terrible. Okay, so it's The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Thank you, Amanda. You're welcome. Um, Which is about the Great Migration. Uh, So anyway, starting in about 1915, so triggered in part by World War I, um, the African-American community started migrating from the South to the North. um, And that just completely reshaped the way that 
America developed from that point on. So it had impact on culture. It had impacts on his, or excuse me, industry. Um, it just impacted, you know, everything. And, uh, Wilkerson looks at, you know, the causes, um, the actual migration itself, how it happened. She follows the lives of several people, um, and, you know, sort of explores through the lens of their lives, what it was that, uh, triggered this and then became, you know, how it, how it then shaped America as a nation um, going forward. So she's, uh, Wilkerson is an incredible writer. She's an incredible researcher. Um, again, if it doesn't already have it, it's uh, like it's a modern classic of history. It's a must have for the shelf. It's amazing. I love it so much. The Great Migration. Uh, yeah, The Warm Father Sun. So good. Okay. <laughs> so my second pick for your dad is actually, I, I don't know. If he's really widely read in World War One, then he's probably already read this entire trilogy. But you can find maybe like a first edition or a really nice edition. This is just my favorite book of World War One history. It's called The Price of Glory, uh, Verdun, 1916. It's by Alistair Horne. And it's part of a trilogy. The first one is The Fall of Paris, and the last one, I think, is called To Lose a Battle. And it's about the rivalry between France and Germany during the war. And But this focuses so microscopically on Verdun, which was the bloodiest battle in the history of human warfare. It lasted 10 months. 700,000 men died uh, along a front that was about 15 miles long. And of course, as World War I is famous for, and Verdun especially is famous for, it wasn't so much about taking ground or defeating the enemy. It was mostly just about bleeding the enemy to death and the battle, you know, like the front line would move two yards and then move back three yards and then move four yards and then move back three yards. And it just continued like that for 10 months as all of these people died. So it's horrifying, like a horrifying battle. And the book is so, gosh, how to put it, like humanizing, you know, you think when you think in numbers of, of 700,000, it, it can, you can start to forget that these were like people, mostly boys, you know, 18, 19 years mm -hmm. old. And at the, near the end, you know, I mean, imagine being, being 19 and, and six months under Verdun and being sent to Verdun and knowing, you know, what's coming. Like it, at that point, you, World War One, the, the, the way that World War One was being fought was so established. And, um, you know, that Verdun, I forget what they called it, but I think they call it something like the meat grinder is what, um, right. what it ended up being called. So like, think about six months into that battle, being the kid that's, that's got to go, sit in those trenches and you know what's going to happen to you and it's just mortifying. So it's a really heartbreaking, so meticulously researched classic of World War I history. And I'm, he might have already read it, if I, I'm assuming he has, but if you can find like a nice edition on eBay or something like that, I think it would be a really great gift because most people who are into World War I really like this trilogy, um, including myself. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah. All right, I have one more um, that I think chances are good he might not have read. Um, it's called Into the Blizzard by Michael Winter. And it is, I think he might not have read it because it's not 100% a history book. It's part of travelogue and part of history. Um, and the author is actually a novelist. So what he does is he retraces the lives of the Newfoundland Regiment from Canada, um, hundreds of whom perished at the Battle of the Somme. So it's not a straight history, but what he's doing is as he like sort of retraces like, okay, they came from these places and they gathered here and then they shipped off over there. Um, he's talking both about them and about how we remember or don't remember in this case, the people who, you know, served. So mm. 
it's, it's about our relationship with history as well as about this specific, and I think, again, often overlooked um, part of history, because I don't know that that many people know about the Newfoundland Regiment. Like, you know, nope. the Canadian war effort is not something I feel like we talk about very often, um, at least not in the U.S. Um, and so, and, and in the course of the book, Winter also talks about how, like, why isn't this more remembered among Canadians? So it's, a, it's an interesting look both at an actual historical event and how we think about history as a people, as, you know, historians, as citizens, as all of those things. All right. That's our show. We did it. Yay. Thank you guys so much. Those of you who wrote in, if you have more last minute emergency uh, holiday recommendation questions, you can send them to us. We should have uh, one more episode up before the, the end of December. So you, you'll still have time. Um, you can email them, get booked at bookride.com. Uh, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review to help other people find the show. Uh, on social, you can find me at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen is at, at Jen, uh, two N's, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And thank you so much to Penguin Random House Audio and DK's Holiday Book Generator for sponsoring the show. And I will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.